If you're trying to figure out how to navigate the tricky tightrope of parenting while you have questions, doubts, and wonderings about your spiritual journey, our podcast is for you. It doesn't matter if your kids are smalls, middles, or bigs. We'll explore what and how we're deconstructing from churchianity, harmful belief systems, and diving deep into the ways we can work this out in parenthood. We're also going to work through ideas for reconstructing a space for our families to thrive under new systems of love and freedom. We can't wait to bring you some hope that you're not alone and that it's really okay, even good, to explore all the possibilities that may have felt closed off in the past. Our podcast is going to offer you grace and space to be exactly where you are and who you are. We're really glad you're here and we're excited for today's episode. Listen in. If we had total support, we would change more easily. So it is the fear of rejection that prevents our transformation. David Hayward, The Naked Pastor. Hey guys, welcome back to the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. Today we're talking with David Hayward, better known as the Naked Pastor, and we are thrilled to have you on. David, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. Hi, everybody. (laughs) So we're kind of dying to know what your day looks like, what your family looks like, what's kind of a day in the life of you. Oh, okay. Um... (laughs) I've never, you know what? I've never been asked that question before. And I've been on hundreds of podcasts. <laughs> so uh, that's a first. Okay. Well, I'm an early riser. The first thing I do is like right now in the middle of winter and we still have snow up here in Canada. So I, I stoke the fire. I turn on some moody lights and some sort of contemplative music. I take care of my, my dog. I make a cup of coffee and I do some contemplative reading, like not business stuff or anything like that. Contemplative reading. And I write in my journal and then I start pulling together ideas for my cartoon, which I post at nine o'clock. So usually I draw the cartoon for that day on that day and write the post. Oh, wow. Are you serious? (laughs) I love that. That's my personal challenge. So I don't always succeed. Like if we're busy or you know, something happens or I'm I'm just coming up dry, then I'll use an old one, but I'm pretty successful at that. And then the rest of the morning, I kind of do businessy stuff because Naked Pastor is a lot of work with prints and making art and interacting with, yeah, there's one behind. Yeah, that's that's, uh, one of my Sophia's behind you. And with community interaction on all the social platforms, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's very busy. Uh, around 10 o'clock, I do my workout. Every second day, I'll go for a five-kilometer run. And the other days, I do uh, high-intensity workout. Yeah. yeah. Lunch. And then in the afternoon, it's usually creativity time. That's when I paint and draw mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Huh. My wife's a nurse, so often I'm preparing supper. Maybe enjoy a nice glass of wine. <laughs> Start winding down. Yeah. I do a little more community interaction. And then uh, Lisa and I will listen to music and read or watch a series or a movie or something like that. And we get to bed pretty early because she gets up pretty early. That's pretty much my day. 
I love that. I love how structured it is. It's accidental. I'm type A. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, oh, this is such a beautiful, it's, but it's like beautifully structured. Yeah. There's like all this room for like contemplation and creativity, but you have this idea of, of when mm. you're going to give yourself the time to do that, which I love. Yeah. And it sounds like you have a pretty good handle on the kind of flow that works for you or what really right. kind of makes your heart come alive, I guess, what kind of makes you the best version of yourself. Yeah. But throughout your day, what would you say really makes your heart come alive? Well, hanging out with my wife, Lisa is number one, like that's, we, we just really <laughs> enjoy each other. We've been married for a long time. We're best friends. Mm. And uh, the romance is still there. And we just, that's really number one for me. And in fact, everything that I do, I want it to be so that I can spend quality time in meaningful relationships. Mm. I also have three grown kids. None of them are living at home. That's very important to me. But what really motivates me to do what I do that people see online is I love freedom, my own personal freedom. And I love seeing other people step into their own freedom and assume responsibility for their own lives and spiritual independence, self-direction, this kind of thing to me really, really, really turns me on. So when I'm helping people feel their freedom, that to me is a huge win. And that's what my, mm. my cartoons and my art and my writing is really centered around. Oh my gosh, that makes me so happy because that's Exactly why Liz and I are doing this podcast. So you are just a great gift to us here today. So for our listeners out there, we are just going to do this podcast a little bit differently. It's going to be more of a Q&A because everybody wants to know. (laughs) All of our listeners want to know more about you and just some really specific things. So we asked uh, a bunch of them, what burning question, kind of like if you were to meet God, but not really, if you were to meet the naked pastor, <laughs> what burning question would they want to ask you? So that's how this particular podcast is going to flow. So so buckle up, everybody. So I'm going to start with my question. And as we've said, you're known as the naked pastor around the internet. And I'm known as the Dolly Mama. And Liz is known as the deconstructed mama. And we know that there's these names usually have like a personal and interesting backstory. So tell us why naked, why pastor, and then why those two words together? (laughs) Uh, I get that a lot. I was blogging as David Hayward back in 2005 as a pastor. I was a pastor of a local church. Actually, it's just up the road. Although it's closed, it's Mm. no longer a church now. So I was actually a blogging pastor back in 2005. And that's when the naked chef, the naked archaeologist, the naked truth, this was all sort of a fad. And I thought, well, wouldn't the naked pastor be kind of cool? Because I wanted to set myself apart from other pastors in that I wanted to show more than the church growth, the wonderful worship music, the Bible studies, Mm -hmm. the sermons that are available, the fellowship. I also wanted to pull back the curtain so people could see what was really going on in the life of a pastor, the conflict, the financial struggles, the frustrations, the doubts, wanting to run, you know, all this kind of thing. And so that's why I called it naked pastor. It's just a pastor being naked, being honest, being open, truthful, vulnerable, transparent. And so that's what naked pastor means. 
I know when I left the ministry in 2010, I struggled. Should I keep the word because I'm no longer really a pastor? But I got corrected often by a lot of people saying, you know what? You might not be in a local church, but you sure are pastoring me online. You're, I consider you my pastor. <laughs> I can't believe it when people say that. Aww. And so I, uh, I'm kind of functioning in the pastoral role in that I'm helping people move from point A to point B in their own spiritual journeys. So, so that's what a pastor does. Yeah. So I decided to keep the name. You know, I, I struggled. I know naked conjures up all kinds of things. And if you did Google naked pastor who works <laughs> on, on Google, you would see some things you can't unsee. That's why it's one word. Naked pastor is one word. <laughs> Google that and I'll come up first. Uh, if you Google two words, you're going to see something. Okay, <laughs> and I won't be there. <laughs> well, I'm very modest. So I love it. I think it captures people's attention. I think for me, at least when I first started following you a few years ago, I immediately got what you're saying from those words. Like this is somebody who is open and honest and just vulnerable about this journey that we're on and is willing to share it yeah. with the world. Yeah. I think what you're doing is just, it's incredible. It's beautiful. And I would consider you, I think in a lot of ways, my pastor as well right now. I largely look to your artwork right now is sort of leading my faith. Oh, cool. It really feeds my um, soul. So. Thank you so much. That's really, really encouraging. Plus the thing about Naked Pastor is it's like a a worm in your brain. Like you can't forget the name. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. All right. Question number two. And I have a mug of yours that was gifted to me by my friend, Melanie. It says love without the fine print. And she has this question and it's very similar to another one of our listeners named Paul. What was the turning point in your spiritual journey that gave you new lenses to see clearly how to truly love without any fine print? How did you get past the church rhetoric to make that shift unequivocally? Well, my struggle had always been, I never felt there was fine print. I don't ever remember feeling gay people or, or same sex couples or whatever were going to hell or God didn't love them or anything like my struggle was how to make that happen in a system that wrote the fine print. That was my struggle was how can I function as a open pastor and how can I uh, help develop an open church and so on when the system is writing the fine print all the time and making sure people read it and as a result feeling dismissed or marginalized. So that was my my struggle. I never remember thinking gay people were going to hell, but I had to figure out how to make that work in a church system that thought otherwise or used a hermeneutic with the Bible that taught otherwise. My last church where I pastored was a vineyard church in Canada. I left the ministry in 2010, and just a few years ago, they actually voted to not be affirming. So I left at the right time. I, obviously, hmm. that system, I, I, I couldn't have continued to function in that kind of a system. I think that's where a lot of people are actually, where we just want to love 
but the church or Mm -hmm. some spiritual authority or the Bible gives us fine print that it says we need to follow that. And I think that's a lot of people's frustration. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. That's my frustration right now too. (laughs) And I just, I'm amazed that that's the hill that so many organizations and churches are dying on. Mm -hmm. Like that's exactly the words I use. I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that the church is willing to die on this hill. But I bring this up too once in a while where um, I think eventually the pressure might be too great and the church will feel forced to change. So, for example, I remember uh, when I was younger in the Pentecostal church in Canada where you could not serve in any form of leadership in the church if you were a divorced person. Well, a divorced man, right? because <laughs> women couldn't serve in that capacity anyway. If you were a divorced man, you couldn't get ordained or you couldn't be, serve as an elder. Well, as time went on, they relaxed those rules. And now that's possible because of necessity. My prediction is that one day there's going to be such an uproar from the uh, LGBTQIA plus community and their allies and friends and family and so on. If you don't change, we're all leaving and taking our money with us. I think that would force the church to finally relax those rules. Mm. Hmm. That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought of it that way, that change may at least initially be kind of a forced change that then kind of starts the ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As much as I love the church, I served within the system long enough to know that the church will not change unless it's unless it has to. Exactly. That's just the way it works. Yeah. yeah. We alluded before that behind me, I have hmm. one of your Sophia prints and it has a huge rhinoceros and a small girl. Mm-hmm. And I borrowed it from our next listener, Jenny. Well, I'm actually waiting for mine to arrive, which I ordered a few weeks ago. She told me that it it meant several things to her at different stages of her life. When she originally bought it, it represented a broken, naked girl who held back a brutal rhino with the sheer force of will. But today, she sees that they have a mutual understanding, recognizing something in the other that they both respect and carry. So it's her all-time favorite of yours. Mm. So she has this question for you about the Sophia series, Mm. which I think you wrote about your own deconstruction journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. So why did you choose a female perspective? She chose me. (laughs) Uh, Seriously. um, So the one that you have hanging behind you is called Steadfast. And you're right. It's a big rhino and uh, a small girl in comparison. The way Sophia started was I'd left the ministry and I wasn't doing well at all, but I didn't know it. (laughs) I was traumatized. The way I deal with trauma is I, uh, there's flight or fight or freeze. My preference is to freeze. So what, what happened to me during that traumatic time of leaving the church, the ministry and losing our friends and losing my pay and losing so much was to freeze. I thought I was doing fine. The fact was, I just wasn't feeling anything. Mm. I was frozen. And that's not a good place to be. In fact, I, di- I didn't realize it until my wife says, you need help. Mm. <laughs> and I knew I knew I needed help. So I got help. And anyway, one afternoon, a Sunday afternoon, I was 
sitting at the dining room table, just drawing on a piece of paper with a pen and pencil. And I, when I finished, I thought, well, what the heck? Because yeah, I'd never drawn anything like that before. I do nice, pretty watercolor landscapes or cartoons or whatever. But this was different. And even my wife was, what's that? Like, what's that about? And what it was, was fearless. And that's the one where there's a little girl holding up a teddy bear to a big, giant grizzly bear towering over her. And uh, I said, I don't know. I just felt like drawing it. And then, you know, my wife was working shift work as a nurse. So every time she went in night shift, I would open up a bottle of wine put on some loud music and start drawing. I never had a plan. I just sit down and start drawing. And again, this woman or girl kept showing up, usually with animals, all, almost always with a full moon. Mm. After a while, actually, I was drawing one called Cave. And it's where she's standing in front of a big cave. And it's dark and scary and vines. I realized, oh my goodness, I started to cry, actually. And I realized, oh my goodness, this is my story. I'm drawing myself. Mm -hmm. I'm drawing my own journey out of captivity and oppression wow. of the ministry and the church and religion and drawing my own freedom. So the whole story of Sophia, there's 59 drawings in the book, The Liberation of Sophia. There's 59 drawings, 59 meditations, sort of uh, illustrating my journey out of out of all that into my own personal freedom. And I don't know why she showed up as a woman, except we know from Carl Jung, the depth psychologist, that men have the anima, women have the animus, female aspect, women have the male aspect. There's sort of that thing going on inside of us. And also often we re refer to our souls or our spirits as she and also Sophia stands for wisdom, mm. literally translated from the Greek wisdom. And um, I think that's why I express myself through a woman, how I felt, and I still feel this way, that women and the feminine aspect of who I was, was oppressed. And I was trying to figure out how to be free and fully me. And this is how it was expressed through uh, this woman. I've actually started a new series now called Timber. And she's uh, another uh, woman who showed up and I'm, I'm doing watercolor paintings of her. So that's why. Thank I don't know if that helps, but. Yeah. No, that's huge. Thank you. It was really, really beautiful. And I think the other thing that is just cool to me is this is, artwork that you did largely about your own story and yet it's speaking to so many people and specifically as a woman to see a man representing women in this way is so incredibly empowering and mm. especially a man who has been in the church who has seen how things played out who has seen the oppression of women and it's really really powerful so beyond even that it's your story it's powerful because there's power and beauty in women and that just yeah. isn't often right showcased especially by well, especially by men yeah so i'm sure over 90 percent of the people who really love sophia are women so i i feel that what the patriarchy and maleness is applauded in the church, leadership, 
domination, control, management, vision, striving, working, assuming, absorbing, teaching, instructing, you know, all this typically male activity where the female aspect of giving birth and empathy and embracing and universal and magic and intuition and creativity, making things, nurturing, all those things are not as important. And so when I started drawing this, I, th I think it was very appropriate that it was a woman. Mm -hmm. Thanks. So let me ask you this really quick, because when you said that, it just made me think. So was art always a part of your life or was that a piece that you felt was a part of you that was oppressed for a long time? And then as you kind of walked through deconstruction and walked through that journey, that's something that you began to do more of. Well, I've always drawn, like okay. I, I grew up in a home where my dad was an artist and I, I just have always drawn and painted and so on. Okay. And you're okay as an artist, if you're doing these pretty landscapes and, and things like that. I started cartooning in 2005 and I left the ministry in 2010. So that five-year period was touch and go. But the first few years wasn't bad because my congregation didn't read my blog. They didn't care. Hmm. They're like, we have to listen to you every week. Why should we read your blog? Right. So they, they weren't interested. My cartoons were flying under the radar. Nobody was noticing. Something happened where Naked Pastors started to get noticed. And other churches started to notice and were telling my people what was going on. And other churches and other pastors were contacting my bosses, people higher up in the vineyard, you know, you've got a heretic in the vineyard and so on and so forth. <laughs> and um, or, or a fox in the vineyard, or I started hearing from my higher up, mm -hmm. and I knew my, my time was coming to a close. Mm -hmm. So my art was fine. Art's fine if you're not in the church. If you're in the church and you're especially if you're serving the church, you have to be very, very careful. So my my art, of course, my cartoons are pretty controversial sometimes. And that's eventually what kind of got me in trouble. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of one of your art pieces, one of your cartoons. We have a question from Sandy, and it's your cartoon, The First Few Minutes of Heaven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which has all the people in it, which I've heard. I heard that joke a long time ago, like when the Baptists get there, they'll think they're the only people there. Yeah. But yours encompasses it a little bit more. So here's probably an out of the box question. What do you think heaven will be like? And here's the caveat. Do you still believe in one? Yeah. So all of a sudden we got really serious. It's <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> okay. So for me, one of the most profound moments of my life, an epiphany kind of moment where it was in 2009. So one year before I left the ministry, exactly. I had this sort of sudden awareness that we are all one on a deep and fundamental level. We're connected. Mm. All things are one connected at a deep and fundamental level that there's one reality mm. and, but we all have our own interpretations of it and our own ways of trying to explain it and articulate it. 
but there's just still, there's just this one reality. And also that eternity is now, mm-hmm. like now. It's mm-hmm. not off in the future somewhere. Eternity is right now. It's kind of like when Jesus said, the fullness of time is now. Mm-hmm. There's no past. There's no future. The fullness of time is now. Even quantum physicists are realizing time is a human construct that's convenient. It helps us make sense of uh, and structure our reality a little bit. But time is essentially a like a, a bunch of nows joined together. Oh, that's cool. Now, 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 now there's no, there's no past. It's gone. It's not, there's no future. It's just the fullness of time is now. I remember Karl Barth, the German theologian, when he was talking about the parousia, the second coming and all that. And he believed what it meant was that the veil is going to be taken Mm. away. And we're going to see things as they actually are. Ah, love that. It's not things are going to change as much as mm. we're going to finally see things as they actually are right. in all their beauty and fullness and, and so on. But that's now, 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 now. Mm. So when, when you ask about heaven and hell in that kind of a context, it sort of takes on a whole different kind of a, of a meaning. When, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you yes. now, but isn't that what we're waiting for, the kingdom of God? No, it's in you now. The kingdom of God is already within you. Mm. And a lot of our problems, a lot of problem with religion is we are being instructed to wait Mm. and suspend all of our nows in order to wait for something or hope for something. When I think we could be living in a much fuller, happier, joyful, peaceful, loving life now. Yes. Oh, my God. Like a lot of people say, I'm, I'm already in heaven. This is heaven. A lot of people say, I'm, I'm living in a virtual hell. Oh, yeah. yep. And some days, I mean, some days you feel like you're living in heaven and some days you feel like you're living in hell. You know, yeah. <laughs> like yep. it really, it's, know. <laughs> really it's, it's really true. I mean, it's, it's yeah. life is like that and life is hard, but I really like that depiction of lifting the veil. You know, Esther and I talk about this a lot, this idea that like when the pressure is off and you're not working towards something, you're just being, right? You're not working towards heaven and you're not working away from hell. You're just being. Being. Um, It changes the way that you approach people, yourself, others, God even. It just changes everything. There's this more organic way of living and being and thinking and which I think is like a really important to just like you said just being in the now 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 so it's like and there there are there are verses that sort of hint at that too God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself in him we live and move and have our being Mm -hmm. this oneness that quantum physicists and mystics and Buddhists and Christian mystics are saying is that this oneness is a reality. Mm-hmm. It's only our thoughts that seem to divide us into different camps and tribes. Mm-hmm. So that to me was a real overwhelming experience in 2009. And then all these things sort of culminated together to create a perfect storm for me to leave the ministry in 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David, thank you so much. Uh, I have one more question from me. Um, So part of why Liz and I are doing this podcast is to help the people who are navigating the tricky tightrope of deconstructing and parenting at the same time. 
And you have three grown children. I have four. Yes. And I, I know how my deconstruction journey played out over time with them. How do you think it's affected your kids as they grew up? And what's it like today? Like maybe you could allude to maybe something that was a struggle and then something that was maybe beautiful and redemptive. Like, what would you say to our listeners who feel like they've like already made mistakes due to like a rigid faith lens and feel like it's too late? Mm -hmm. Well, let me mention that I wrote a book because Lisa and I, after we left the ministry and the church, we had to leave the church. And I wrote a, a book called Till Doubt Do Us Part, When Changing Beliefs Change Your Marriage. But I wrote it for people whose marriages are going through that kind of a change. And I also do talk about kids. I have a chapter in there called How to Change in Front of Your Kids. Oh, good. Here's what Lisa and I did. And it worked. We decided from the very beginning before we had kids that we were going to be totally open and honest about our lives and communicate. We're going to just share everything. We're not going to act like we're there some kind of a spiritual authority over their lives and tell them what to believe or anything like that. We were going to offer them food, spiritual food, and they got to decide what was appropriate for them, what wasn't appropriate for them. When we were going through our deconstruction process, it took a long time, years and years. We, we were just basically open and honest about it. If they had a question, we would just say, well, what do you think? Like, I don't really know, but what are you thinking? And we would just have a discussion about it. Yeah, we'd read Bible stories. They came to church with us. They were involved in worship. Lisa and I were all in. We were all in with the church and worship and the whole charismatic experience thing. We were 100% in. And so were our kids. But as time went on, we would start questioning things. Things started changing, but we were totally open and honest about it. We talked so our kids would listen and we listened so our kids would talk. Oh my gosh, that's great. That's the way any relationship works. Yeah. You have to communicate and just be honest. And when we left the ministry, left the church, our kids were grown by then. You know, we were just honest with them. Now they're all on their separate paths. They're all very unique individuals. They are spiritually independent. They are confident. They're happy. They're doing the work in their own lives. And we're best friends. You know, we go on trips together and stuff like that. So that's what we wanted. We wanted to be loving rather than right. That's kind of a brutal black and white thing to say, but you can be loving and right at the same time. But we valued being in relationship with our kids more than not being in a relationship with our kids, but being right. I know a lot of parents who have severed relationships with their kids because they wanted to be right mm. and rather than being gracious and providing space for their, their kids. That can be repaired. I've seen it be repaired. So that's how Lisa and I did it. And it worked. And I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a constant journey. You can always mm. start. You can always start that journey. There is redemption. There's been redemption in my relationship with my parents. Esther has this redemption in her relationship with her kids. It can be really, really beautiful. But I think like you said, when you really start communicating about things and being open and honest about how you're feeling and what you're going through, that's really where it starts. And I have little kids, so I'm in the very beginning of the journey. My husband and I, you know, that's just kind of what we're 
we're trying to do. Just yeah. be really, really honest. And a lot of times the answer is, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. They ask a question. I'm like, uh, I don't know. Mommy doesn't know. So I'll have to get back to you on that when I have an idea. But what do you think it means? Like you said, yeah. what do you think it means? Right. And I'm constantly, I think, asking myself that question as I've deconstructed from the church, right? As we're reparenting ourselves, we're asking ourselves that question like, wait, what do you think? This is what you've been told for so many years. <laughs> this is right. This is what you've lived for so many years. But what do you actually think about that? What do you, how do you think that God feels about that? Yeah. It's like such a sense of freedom for me. I know this morning I was hashing something out with my oldest daughter. I just don't have great answers for how to do this perfectly and how to do this well. I just know that we're going to do this together and you have yeah. you and you're going to be you and I'm going to be me and we're going to be different. And how great is that? And that's the same for all the people that we come in contact with. If we can yeah. treat other people the way you're saying that it's more important to be loving than right. Well, it's valuing, it's valuing and not disrespecting questions. Questions. I know when I was growing up in the kind of culture I was raised in questions were a sign of stupidity and a sign of needing to be spoon-fed by someone in authority mm. um, or, or whatever. And, and it was embarrassing, humiliating, shameful to have questions. So we try to instill in our kids that questions are very, very wise. It's a sign of wisdom. In fact, there's this little story I really love where uh, Joseph and Mary are going to pay taxes or something and they lose Jesus and they their boy, Jesus. And so they go back looking for him and they find him in the temple talking with the elders in the temple. And all the elders were impressed by the questions he was asking. That's to me, pretty good clue. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus throughout his ministry is masterful questioner. We place a lot of value on questions and that it's actually a sign of wisdom and not stupidity. And to be able to rest with questions rather than having an obsession and anxiety to have it answered to be able to rest with a question is i think a sign of incredible wisdom i love that rest with a question not wrestle yeah. with rest yeah yeah Just rest with the question i love that well we could probably talk with you for many many more hours and we would love to have you on again but i Believe that congratulations are in order for your Instagram that you just went over a hundred thousand followers. Is that yeah. accurate? <laughs> that is a big celebration. Um, yes. But can you, for people who don't know who you are, which I'm sure are very few and far between, can you just let us know where we can find you on Instagram and uh, anywhere else? Yeah. So just uh, search Naked Pastor, one word. One word. <laughs> one word. <laughs> That's where I am on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on TikTok, on Instagram, Pinterest, you name it. I'm Naked Pastor. My store, nakedpastor.com. Um, I'm on Etsy. So I'm just kind of uh, like like COVID everywhere. 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 You're everywhere. <laughs> I have a new book coming out called Flip It Like This. And it's 125 of my best, most popular cartoons. Oh my gosh. Um, and it you can pre-order it now. Uh, so I just want That's to mention awesome. that. 
If you want yes. to flip it, flip it like this, David Hayward, Naked Pastor. I love that. That's awesome. One of my favorite of your cartoons, and it's the first one that I bought, is Jesus flipping those tables in the temple. And I have that like in our living room, like pretty big. Um, And that's just one of my favorites because it's just a constant reminder to me that Jesus, he did Uh kind of flip the tables all the time. So that's really wonderful. Thanks for letting us know about that. And I for sure will be pre-ordering that. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will as well. So thank you so much, David. We will, I'm sure, talk to you in the coming seasons. Yeah, anytime. Have me back. (laughs) Yeah, we loved it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Well, that's it for this episode on the Deconstructing Mamas podcast. We love that you tuned in and hope that this gave you a little bit of grace and space for your soul to breathe. Don't forget to catch up on any of our episodes that you missed. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Deconstructing Mamas. That's where you'll find all the information that you need about the podcast, as well as on both of our websites, estherjoygets.com and elizabethpetters.com, as well as our brand new website, deconstructingmamas.com. If you would like to support the podcast, please leave us a review where you listen and especially tell others about the show. Thanks for listening and come back again for our next episode. We can't wait to be on the other side of your headphones.